Welcome on in, everybody. Trey Fitzgerald here on what we're tentatively calling Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. That's a working title. We'd love to hear your your feedback and your suggestions. But basically, Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale, the super producer, looking to provide yet another opportunity, albeit a unique opportunity for fans to engage on everything Real Salt Lake. Obviously, these are interesting times as we head into the 2021 season. A lot happening, but our main goal is to explore the past, present, future of Real Salt Lake with a great guest list, hopefully a lot of opportunity to discuss with people what the shield, what the RSL shield means to them, the power of hope and belief so strong throughout the first 16 years of this club. And uh, maybe it's some short-term therapy, maybe it's some long-term love, but at the end of the day, we want to inform, educate, and provide access from a from a 30,000-foot view, from a big-picture standpoint of what an awesome club Real Salt Lake still is, even in, in what might be termed uh, lean times or difficult times. Um, the whole sports world going through so much right now as uh, 2020 turns to 2021. A lot of uncertainty on many, many levels. But um, so many personalities, past, present, and uh, developing for this club uh, on various sides. We'll look at the academy. We'll look at the first team. We'll look at the Monarchs. And we'll continue to talk NWSL because the Royals had such a special place in so many people's hearts here. And hopefully uh, we will have NWSL back in Salt Lake in 2023 or beyond. So welcome. Our first guest of the show is Real Salt Lake Executive Vice President of Soccer Operations, Rob Zarcos, where we where we really talk about what's happening, what's the psyche, uh, what are the hopes, dreams, and visions uh, for RSL as we as we jump into the new year. Thank you for listening and welcome on in. All right, RSL fans, in case you missed it, Justin Glad extended. Big news. Um, still hard to believe he's only 23 years old. He's played 135 games for the club across all competitions. Um, homegrown player that originally signed uh, back in 2014. So that's great news. Um, some of the more, I think, controversial news that happened that we'll get into with EVP Soccer Ops Rob Zarcos is the addition of longtime hated RSL rival Pablo Mastroeni as an assistant coach on Freddy Juarez's staff. Obviously, Pablo has a, a deep history with uh, the Rocky Mountain Cup, uh, close connection, uh, was an early mentor of, of one Kyle Beckerman, and uh, certainly I got to know Pablo a little bit at the 2002 World Cup in Korea. So it's going to be interesting to see him uh, on the Claret and Cobalt side of things. Obviously, he was Tab Ramos' assistant last year in Houston, RSL sending 50000 in general allocation money to Houston for the ability to hire Pablo. And then um, before we get to the last bit of news and notes, in case you missed it, let's, uh, let's get our, our man Ryan Hale's perspective on... Pablo Mastroeni wearing the RSL shield after all those years, starting with kind of the shirt incident at Rice Eccles Stadium back in 2007 and uh, many, many other heated moments uh, as part of the Rocky Mountain Cup. Yeah, man, I'm I'm a biggest fan as anybody that you're going to that's going to be listening to this. And, you know, the name Pablo Mastroeni doesn't stir up the most like <laughs> the best memories, but um you know, I'm interested to know like what, you know, what's what's he doing that's caught the eye of, you know, Freddie Juarez and I've we've been talking about things like um the way that he runs a locker room and those kind yep. of things. Um, you know, I don't know that I'm completely ready to, to to forget the past, but I do know that this is kind of like a you know, this is this is a business and yep. you know, he couldn't have been an RSL guy in 2008 playing for the Colorado Rapids. So, I'm not not to say that the that the things that he was caught on video doing were warranted, but <laughs> you know, a lot of water has gone under that bridge by now. So I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see what's going on. What that says to me is that there's, there's, um, 
thinking outside the box in some very specific parameters, I guess. Is that a weird way to say that? No, but, that's a great way to say it. I think you look at the history of, of Colorado guys that have found their niche here. I mean, Kyle's one of them. Uh, Wingert, Borchers. Um, I'm sure there's others. I, I remember one time, probably back you know, 10 years ago, I think I, I wrote a press release or a game note talking about all the players that had played on both sides of the rivalry in the Rocky Mountain Cup. It was 17 or 18 players, and I'm sure it's a much longer list now. But uh, it's going to be fun to kind of be able to go down uh, memory lane with Pablo uh, about some of those moments, some of those games, and uh, certainly some of those incidents, and hear, hear his perspective because we all had ours over the last uh, 15 years. We've just updated our interview schedule, that's for sure. That's he's, right. He's going to get in here. He's going to have to win us over. It's, <laughs> a, it's a sign of some some things that are changing. So I, I, I have confidence, but I am, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put everything behind me yet until I start seeing some things. And then the last little bit of news and notes, uh, goalkeeper, David Ochoa, right back slash defender, um, Aaron Herrera called into the U S under 23 camp by Jason Christ. So for club and country, always an honor. And, um, I think a great opportunity for those guys to maybe help recruit some of these young, their young contemporaries to uh, what we hopefully have again soon at the riot and what we've got at the uh, training academy out in Harriman and the complex of facilities, all the positive aspects of this organization. But certainly congratulations to those two uh, for the call up and hopefully they're able to kind of seize that opportunity. Yeah. It's interesting too, to see someone like Ochoa getting that attention because, you know, his job is just simply to uh, fill in Nick Ramondo's shoes. <laughs> not not a not a small task yeah, there. But then awesome. to see that to see that he's getting that attention nationally, um, a lot of you know RSL fans may not know much about him. He got one game, you know, yeah. in the snow. Was, yeah, the blizzard. Um, but uh, if you were watching the Monarchs 2019 mm. campaign, the championship season, yeah. um, he was a big reason why that team performed the way they did. I mean, he's a young guy. Yeah. Um, he fits in that the academy scene. He came from the academy. He's sure. a, you know, he was a high school kid when he was playing for the the Monarchs. You know, yeah. he's still a teenager right now. Love love that pipeline. And uh, it's funny. There's always been a bias in this league against young goalkeepers. But I mean, look at Andre Blake. You know, well um, Chelsea, like Chelsea, starting uh, Zach Steffen. Yeah, he just uh, had his first game. Goalkeeper's a weird position because it does it has it's always the old man. You know, mm. it is the, that's the yeah. and. Uh, I mean, all old men were young men once, but like that's the thing is like. <laughs> I mean, if, Iker Casillas was, I think, nineteen oh, when yeah. when Madrid was dominating in the late nineties, and and he was uh, he's still my favorite keeper. But that's you know, if you have spent any time watching, and if you were a Monarchs fan, you were out at the, at Harriman watching last. Yep. I mean, you can see it. I mean, there's nobody who has. I mean, he's big, he's fast, he, uh, you know, he makes some mistakes. He's a kid, but I mean, he's he's like exactly what you want there. So hopefully he can, you know, think opportunities like this, um, you know, getting the first team nod, getting the, you know, a full call up, you know, I know it's January camp, but he's getting a full call up to the national team. Um, you know, hopefully this, uh, we see his development, just, you know, see it happen right in front, right in front of us. Um, the other guy, Aaron Herrera, man, yeah. uh, like, um, I know I'm not the only RSL fan who has a <laughs> soft spot for that guy, but, uh, but I do know that if, you talk to somebody outside of Salt Lake about RSL. If they have any clue about what's going on here, a lot of them do know about Aaron Herrera. Yeah. He's fast. He's uh, you know, he's strong. He plays that outside wing, which is a big deal with the U.S. national team. Sure. I mean, it's kind of it, a lot of play. A lot of teams play with that outside wing that that goes all the way up and is a big part of the attack. But Aaron Herrera does that in a way that like is obviously getting attention. Yeah. One of the bright spots of uh, the 2020 very disjointed 2020 season uh, for RSL, but uh, Herrera along with Pablo Ruiz, I think were the, were the two guys that really emerged the most uh, for me and uh, congratulations to Aaron. You know, there, there, there have been a lot of rumors about where his future will take him and uh, Europe may be beckoning, but um, it's it's exciting to to be able to call this guy our own. Um, I feel a special kinship because he went to the University of New Mexico for a couple of years in between uh, the RSL Academy and, and Real Salt Lake's uh, first team. So um, excited to see Aaron representing uh, the U.S. and hopefully he and David 
can uh, whenever these Olympics happen, I guess it's probably a 20, 2022 Olympics now, but um, you know, some of that stuff in Tokyo is going to be really fluid due to COVID, but uh, always an honor, I think to, to be able to wear your national badge uh, in competition. So very, very happy for those guys. Still waiting on Aaron's first goal. He had a crack. It was, <laughs> I guess it's this year's, these years are awesome. But the end of 2019 from about 40 yards out, he took a crack and yep. almost hit the top, <laughs> the top right corner. Um, man, who was it? Say that uh, anyway, but yeah, no, it would be interesting if he gets a, if he, if he gets a goal for the U S team before that'd he gets be fantastic. I, but, we got to talk to Beltran when we have him on next week about, about his goal, because I remember that was always one of the big things about uh, Tony playing all these oh, minutes, yeah. not getting a goal. Same for Wingert. Yeah. And then uh, there was a U.S. Open Cup game, I think, against Minnesota right after we opened the stadium. So it was probably 10 or 11, and they both scored yeah. uh, in the same game. And uh, I don't know. I don't know why that random memory just ca- came in my head, but – Talking about the rarity of of uh, outside back goals, um, hopefully Aaron is a little more aggressive going up the wing than those guys. Uh, well, he makes his way are. up there, that's for sure. <laughs> um, just before we head over to the interview here, um, Justin Glad signing. Um, yep. I was just thinking about all the you know we're talking about the the pipeline and all that sure. kind of stuff. I mean, that's a kid who I saw score his first professional goal at Rio Tinto. Um, Cold Saturday, rainy night, yeah. Monarchs playing. They got a header off a corner kick. Um, but, yeah, what does that really mean to this team? Like, with that, you know, he's signing a four-year deal. Yeah. He's this is his, he's going into his seventh year as a as a pro. Yeah. I mean, what does that say about one? Like, we keep – I mean, as, you know, if you're talking about RSL, you're going to start talking about, like, oh, the academy, this is – but what does that really actually say about, like, that? For me, it's stability. I think that's, that's, that's the number one thing. Um, I think, you know – there's been a lot of talk around Justin about, you know, why why did Pecky and then Freddie not, you know, play him in some of these late season games or playoff games and, you know, does he need a change of scenery, blah, 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 you know, to to boost his career. But he's still only twenty three, which is insane to me. I've said it a hundred times. And him being kind of that aspirational beacon, I think, uh, in a club that prides itself on homegrown development for him to have come as far as he has. Um, and for now at 23 to become a leader on this team, um, in a spine, you know, that, that, that has a Choa behind him, Silva next to him. I think you've got Everton and Pablo in front of him. You've got Demir and Albert there as well. Herrera next to him, a guy that, um, he's played with um, dating back to when those guys were teenagers in Arizona. So uh, super excited for Justin. And, you know, I don't think we can talk about him without mentioning all the stuff he's been doing um, in the community uh, with the foundation and Mary Van Mindy. So um, really happy for Justin that, that he's made Salt Lake his home and that he gets to be uh, not only a part of but uh, be – a leader in this club uh, for years to come as we kind of turn the corner and go into um, a new direction here in 2021. Yeah. And maybe not, maybe some people don't know this because those numbers aren't published too much, but uh low key, he's the fastest player. Oh, he's recorded. I don't, I wouldn't, it's a, this it's like a next gen stat kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. The, the little, the little trackers they wear <laughs> in their jerseys uh, track how fast they go. And yeah. uh, the trainers were telling me one time that the person who's recorded the fastest times on the field during a game multiple times is Justin Glad. He's got the, he's the fastest RSL player on the field, which wow. as a center back. That's, I don't know. I don't that's, know what that uh, means. That's but unique company. And it might've only been a burst, but you know, it was there, right? Yeah. But he's, he, he was, uh, uh, I remember he, he was in here talking to Natum <laughs> one time and he was telling him like the, the reason was he'd wandered up too far Yeah, <laughs> and he had to get back. But you know, him having that speed and that burst, um, is going to allow Freddie, as we saw a little bit last year, uh, to go three in the back if needed. And Justin, you know, is a, a unique center back um, specimen, I guess, that gives you that uh, versatility and at least unique to our club and, and probably unique to MLS. So um, hopefully a big, big year ahead for, for Justin. Yeah. This is just one weekend, one episode in, we've already got some big (laughs) things we're talking about. So um, interested to hear 
what you have to say with Rob here. Yeah, I can't wait, um, you know, sit down here with Rob Zarcos and really, you know, talk a little bit about the infrastructure on the soccer side. Um, we talk, you know, about the new additions with, with the GLAD extension, the the Pablo Mastro any higher, um, Elliot Fall, Freddie Wars is, and Tony Beltran's developments kind of in their first full years um, in their current uh, positions with the club. So uh, really exciting to, 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 I guess, gain some knowledge, insight, detail on how the soccer side of the club is running uh, in the current environment, um, in, in the middle of, 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 of a window of a player acquisition uh, time and a restructuring. Um, can't wait. So good stuff here. Look forward to uh, hearing everyone's feedback as we sit here and bleed. Claire and Cobo. Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale on the board, and we are very, very pleased to welcome Real Salt Lake Executive Vice President of Soccer Operations, Rob Zarcos. Rob, welcome to the studio for what we are currently calling Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. It's, oh, a, it's a working nice. title. Thank you, Trey. Uh, I think I want to kick it off with you just by um, asking you to look back at 2020 a little bit. and Obviously a difficult season um, in many ways on and off the field, but how do you... Um, in your role, along with Elliot, Freddie, Tony, and others, how how challenging has it been to kind of evaluate 2020? Yeah, look, I mean, everybody who's watched over the past four or five years, I mean, we've had what I'll call an emergency every year since I've been here. Um, the good news with that is we've learned how to operate within it. You know, you, you take it, you assess it, you see what you can learn from it, and you just keep marching forward. 2020 was a bit tougher, I think, than all the <laughs> the others. To be fair, but yeah. look, it was it was a tough year. But you know, coming from a leadership position, you can do one of two things: you can sit in the corner and woe is me, or you can address it, meet with your staff on a regular basis, meet with them individually, see how they're doing, and just be positive and move forward. And that can be difficult sometimes, but that's the job, right? So you know, I like to lead positively. I like to lead by empowerment. And, you know, it allowed us in some ways to throw some stuff against the wall that we probably never would do just because we're like, look, we got to we got to try some new stuff here. I mean, nobody's happy with how we did on the field. We've worked hard in the off season and before that to address that. As you'll see there's some coaching hires. There's some changes. You'll see some further changes in the lineup. But it's to continue to have everybody realize that they are part of the family. And look, families go through tough times, too. But come on out, be empowered and let's figure out what we can do to go forward to make it better. Yeah, and this is sort of what Ryan and I talk about a lot is dark days don't last forever. And obviously it's been uh, a bit of a difficult time, but, you know, I think people want to believe, right? And the culture of this club for 15, 16 years has always been about building and about growth, and, and here we are. Um, news coming out early in 2021, um, obviously the Justin Glad extension I think was was great news for everybody. Um, the Pablo Mastroeni hire by Freddie was very interesting. What what kind of dynamic behind the scenes can you share in terms of how that process went, uh, collaborating with Freddie to identify candidates? And then obviously a guy like Pablo's got uh, a sordid history with uh, RSL in terms of his Colorado-Rocky Mountain Cup rivalry. And I think Pablo's probably been off the radar a little bit during his time down in Houston. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, you know, seeing fan reactions to it. And even internally, you know, we have a lot of fans internally. Sure. I got a lot of texts. Uh, shout out to Dan Farns, our groundkeeper, uh, <laughs> our director of groundkeeping, who uh, gave me a WTF text when it was announced. <laughs> you know, with Fred, it was it was pretty good. You look, as we said, last year wasn't good enough, whether that's from the front office, whether it's from coaching staff. We all have to own that and move forward. But when talking to Fred, you know, we just basically sat down and, and broke everything apart and said, Fred, what do you do well? What do you want some help with? And what type of person do you want to do that? You know, we just broke broke down. Mm -hmm. As we do with players, we have attributes lists. You know, this is what a nine looks like for us. This would wing. I said, break that down for coaching staff. What are the attributes you want in that? So we did that for a few weeks. And then he took the reins. Obviously, it's his staff and, and started interviewing. And Pablo came up. 
you know, we talked about it around the office. We talked with Fred, and Fred had a wonderful first conversation with him and, and said, look, this guy's it. I, I just know it. I've interviewed six people. This is it. And we said, okay, great. Uh, let's talk to it. And then I, I just talked around the office. I was like, hey, what do you guys think? And and uh, Tony played for him it, when he played in the uh, um, All-Star game. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Tony said, I'd, I'd run through a wall for that guy. The one in Denver? Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, again, Freddie's choice, but that's, you know, when a former player like, sure. you know, Tony says that, you're like, all right. And then we talk to him and same thing. You know, the thing that Pablo has just from the brief conversations we've had is environment, culture, man manager. Yeah. Right. And Fred, man management and tactics. Right. I mean, he's just a genius on the tactics. So <clears throat> uh, it seems like a good marriage. And, you know, Pablo got in yesterday. We all went down as we do when people come in, full front office, introduced ourselves, talked to him. Just a great guy. And, and, you know, Freddie inherited his staff. People need to remember Mm -hmm. that. Um, And that's just who Fred is. You know, I'm going to make the most of it. Let's try to do it. Let's, you know, we'll see if these guys work out. And, you know, the guys were were great. I mean, it was fine. But with the results last year, we had to make a change. You got to shake the tree up a little. Is that a a term? Shake the tree. Um, And, look, I'm excited about his hires. You know, it takes a pretty strong person to say, I want to do this. this is where I'm good at. I I want this is the area that I want without, you know, feeling threatened. Which this is the best thing for the club, and that yeah. that's how the the conversation went, and that's how the decisions went. Um, and then we also have a new goalkeeper coach who's been in the family and who's coming back. You know, Nacho uh, Hernandez. He uh, he was at the academy down at uh, Casa Grande. He's developed a lot of players, a lot of goalkeepers. Uh, Lalo was there with him, right, and. Uh, you know, was with the U.S. national team on the scouting side, and then was a he was down at San Luis Obispo coaching. And you know, with the the plethora, I'll say, of young goalkeepers we have coming through, I think right now that's one of our strongest mm-hmm. areas in the academy. Um, uh, there's I I can't say anything about signings and stuff, sure. but but um, there's a couple that we're watching very closely in the 16 to 18 year old range. Mm. So having somebody who's done it at the Academy level, but it's also seen what's required for the U.S. national team sure. is great, right? And, you know, with Ochoa coming up and bright future for him and yep. some of the other kids coming up, you know, we we feel that that'll be an area that we're, we're homegrown for a while. Um, so I, I like the new staff. I think it's great. We also kept continuity with some of the directors on the sports performance side, right. on the athletic training side. Um, so you got this. We shook it up a little bit, but we kept the continuity for the players, which I think is important. So... Yeah, we'll see. Uh, look, we all understand this. It, it's sports. There has to be performance, and, yeah. and that's not that's not a knock on anyone. You know, of course, I'd love to be here forever. Right. It's not sports, yeah. and at the end of the day, I'm just a small piece in the mosaic of of RSL. Our, our staff are just a small piece, and this club's going to be here for years and yeah. years and years. And we just want to look back and say, did we do the best we possibly could when we were there? And and you know, at some point, we won't be here. And and again, we all hope to be here forever, but there has to be performance. And right. so what we're trying to do now is break down what we thought went wrong last year, address it, and get back on the field. I mean, except for one or two players, this is the same team that was third in the West. Yeah. You know, we haven't in, had that much turnover. So yeah. what are the small pieces that coalesces around it to push that again? Um, I want to get to kind of talking a little more specifically about the dynamic with you and Elliot and Tony and Freddie and 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 um how it bleeds down into various levels of the organization but before i do that i want to kind of remind people of your background and yeah. i think you you've lived a fascinating life from my <laughs> perspective and Thanks. um you grew up in seattle no so hawaii i kind of grew up all around okay. so i was born in california lived in hawaii till i was 12 lived in colorado your uh, yep. your neck of the woods for yep. 2 years then high school was in Newport Beach, California. Um, did not do well in high school, let's say. So I went to junior college for two years. <laughs> went to University of Puget Sound for a year. Got invited not to return. <laughs> <laughs> Worked in a uh, fish processing plant in Alaska for a summer. I was like, man, this sucks. I need something that sucks worse. So I joined the military. So I, I was wow. in the Navy for four years. Okay. It did suck worse. Uh, and then when I was in the military, I ended up, uh, talking to a Naval JAG, Judge Advocate General, who was an attorney. And I was like, oh, this seems interesting. I'd I'd like to do that. So I went back to college. My family had relocated back to Washington state, went to a school called Western Washington up near Canada, 
met my wife up there, and then uh, went to law school down in Oregon. And I thought I wanted to be an international attorney at that point. So my minor in in, uh, college was Chinese language. Mm. So I was like, oh, I'd like to be an international attorney. So summer of my second year, I clerked for a um, a British law firm in Shanghai, thought that's what I wanted to do. Uh, And my wife came to visit me. And she was like, there's no way I'm moving here. If you ever want to have kids, like, we're not moving here. So I had to change my plans up. Uh, got out. I clerked for a judge for a year uh, in Washington State and then was a maritime attorney for three years. Wow. Which mostly deadliest catch kind of boats, but we did some cargo and okay. shipping and stuff like that. Absolutely hated it. I was not a very good attorney. I tend to be a little more of a creative thinker and old attorneys don't really appreciate that. So I was there. I was like, hey, I, I really want to get more on the business side. So so every time you read a story about cruise ships in the pandemic, are you glad you're no longer a maritime lawyer? 100%. <laughs> um, I mean, we we're dealing with things like guys' fingers getting cut off in crab traps. and I mean, yeah, it was pretty nuts. Uh, <clears throat> but I knew I wanted to go in-house, but I had a liberal arts degree, so I, I knew I needed more finance background. So on the weekends, I flew down to San Francisco, got my investment banking analyst certificate. And then um, my uncle was starting a biofuel uh, firm down in uh, the Bahamas. So I'd work Monday through Friday in the office, take the red eye to the Bahamas on Saturday, work Saturday, Sunday, take the red eye back and work in the office. I did that for about six months. Uh, That was before we had kids. But I got a lot of good business experience. Um, Then I went in in 2008, great year, January, I went and started working for a private equity group that was doing fund-to-fund investment down in Latin America. It was a great company. It's just by October, the financial markets had collapsed. It was also a good year to build a stadium and open a stadium. Yeah, great. It was good times. <laughs> uh, and so I uh, that job ended, and I was looking for a job. And uh, I like to say I got this job through a Craigslist ad. I was on Craigslist, Craigslist and uh, there was a job in Bellevue, Washington, where I was living, and it was in-house counsel for a real estate development group. Um, interviewed, got the job. Um, and it ended up being a jo- uh, um, one of the sub-companies of Deloitte Hansen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd see him maybe once a year, twice a year. But at that point, I was a soccer fanatic, right? And I, I got into soccer in 94. I was working in the fish processing plant. <clears throat> and at lunch, uh, the workers that were there were just fanatics, and they'd explain the game to me. But that's when the U.S. was playing and Alexi Lalas was playing. Okay. And I'm a Greek-American. He's a Greek-American. Yeah, so sure. I saw that. And these guys were telling me everything about soccer, and I just got into it. I just went nuts for it. Yeah. So I never I never played growing up. I played rugby and I, a whole bunch of sports in, right. in high school. Um, so that's I was kind of hooked then. And, and at that point, you know, EPL was coming online in, in 98, 99. I was watching every EPL game. I was starting to look at stats and player stuff a little bit. Yeah. And so when he'd come into, into uh, the market, I would just make sure I was in the same car with him and ask him, hey, you got anything at Real? You got anything at Real? <laughs> And I think finally I broke him down enough that he was like, hey, look, and this was when he was taking over from from Dave, and he was like, I need someone to go through the contracts and just know where we're at, right, just because he was doing the transition. So I came in, did that for about two months, and then we were watching a reserve game one Saturday, and an unnamed center back kicked a guy in the chest in the second minute and got a red card. (laughs) So he looked at me, he's like, we have to start a USLT in the reserve reserve league's just not doing it. But he was taking over the, the club, so he's like, here's your budget, just figure it out. So it was me, Freddie was the the, yep. the first hire, Mary Van Mindy was uh, second or third, um, who's now running our foundation, and yep. Dan Egner, who was our technical director who recently left, he was uh, he came in on the business side. Right. But he was killing it even the second week, and I just said, hey, man, what do you want to do? Like, you're really good. I can tell. What do you want to do? And he's like, I'd love to get on the team side. And he, he had, like, you talk about analysis. He had binders of it that yeah. he was showing me. So we just started working, and... and uh, you know, the first year, I think we were sixth in the league on all metrics. I think we had a crowd of 16,000. We just kind of killed it that first year. Not, not in the field. We were actually weren't that right. great. We and this was 2015 Monarchs. 2015. Yeah. And then I was there for two years. And then when, when Wibes came over, um, that's when Bill had, had gone to Toronto and Garth went to Seattle. Right. Um, it might have been 16. Um, you know, I was asked then to manage the business side of the team, right? Yeah. Just all of the operational administration, uh, budgets, all of that stuff. So why don't I kind of came up together in that? Um, yeah. And then I've been kind of been there ever since, but, you know, built the Monarchs, built the Royals, moved the Academy from Casa Grande out here, right. was involved in the construction of the new facility and then kind of tying that in and strategic growth and revenue models. 
Yeah, so I think a lot of people that haven't lived inside of an organization, it's probably hard for them externally to appreciate what you've brought, which I would – the thumbnail sketch would be you've brought a business structure and sensibility to the sporting side of the organization. Is that well, fair? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, look, a lot of it, like we've been in a growth period for the last five years. Right. And I don't know if people realize that. I mean, it's been massive growth. $120 million of investment. Right. Right. But how do you tie that all together? And look, and we, we had some struggles in the beginning tying all the teams together, both internally, financially, operationally. Like, mm-hmm. how does this work? How does the academy tie into the monarchs to the monarchs to the first team? How are we having a pathway for players, which becomes important? I mean, that was all done with a vision in mind, right? right? The vision of the owner was, look, I'm looking at everything around the league. I'm looking at Europe. It seems the best model to build your own players. And then, you know, when you sit with Elliot on the cap, it makes well more sense sure. because of the way you're re- rewarded for homegrown players. Yeah. So that was identified five years ago. It's just with planning and building, it, it takes some time. I like to say on the soccer side, it's like a ship. You you turn the wheel, and it sometimes it takes six months yeah. to get to where you need to go, just bef- because timing, league rules, or just development. I mean, looking at a kid at fifteen and saying he's got something. There's some kids at sixteen that can play in the league, but the reality is, is we're seeing seventeen, eighteen year olds, and that's international soccer now, right? right. From the feeder leagues, you're seeing that that eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. 21 nowadays, you know, that's kind of the max end of the sell point. Sure. Um, when only a few years ago you thought you could transfer guys until they were 25. Exactly. Yeah. The world's changed yep. and, and soccer world's changed. And, and funny enough, even in Europe, that did not slow down with COVID. Mm. I mean, you see some of the transfer fees. So, you know, this was all planned out. And I think what I brought to that was organizational structure and operational know how. Okay. Right. And that's nothing against soccer guys, but I just have enough experience in the business to kind of put that together. Now, with all of that said, I appreciate what you say, but it's not me. I mean, the fact no, is you surround yeah. yourself by talented, smart people, get out of their way. And, and Elliot. And Elliot. No, Elliot. Just kidding. I look, know. He's brilliant. There's one thing, and I can't tell you the number, but we were we were talking, and look, this is a tough year, and, and you're, you live or die by your, your salary cap plus whatever general allocation mm-hmm. that you can hold on to and roll over. And we're talking about the beginning of the year. You're like, well, hey, what can we do? You know, we're a bit limited. We can't sign DPs this year, but right. we, we can make every other move on, under the sun. And he said, well, just so you know, I've been uh, putting a little money aside for a rainy day. It's a rainy day, and it's pretty significant. I'll tell you that. I can't tell you the number, but I was pretty much blind. One, I was mad. Because <laughs> <laughs> he hid it from you? <laughs> yeah, but two, I was like, no, I was pretty smart. I'm glad you did that. Yeah. No, so, yeah, look, again, I, I think, back to leadership style. It's empowerment and getting out of talented people's way and just kind of giving them a roadmap, yep. right? And that's what I've tried to do. So here. that's a great segue to kind of talking about Elliot's first full year as a GM, Freddie's first full year as a, as a head coach at this level, and then Tony Beltran's first full year as a non-player. And, you know, I've been around you guys individually for years, and I've had the fortune – uh, since I got back to Utah to spend a little bit of time out in Harriman um, and see the dynamic. And and this is why I'm so bullish on the future on 4.0. But I guess um, through a tough year, through the normal fire of everybody just trying to get their legs under them, um, and then adding COVID and then adding you know the social justice, the investigation, the salary cap issues, whatever – um, how would you describe kind of that, that dynamic and that philosophically, you know, we've heard Elliot talk about Tony's RSL way document. And obviously this is a guy that's lived it for 12 years in that locker room to this point, uh, before, before becoming a, an assistant GM and, and guys like him. And there's plenty of guys and gals all over the organization, uh, that contribute to that way, to that DNA, that I think make us all as either fans or however we are connected to the club, very optimistic about what whoever buys this from Deloitte, what they are getting uh, something, a, a very unique jewel out here in the middle of the desert. But I guess uh, in your words, what is that philosophy? What's that dynamic as you guys have kind of gone through the fire together over the last 365 days? Yeah, look, I think the the hardest thing in my seat is to do is, is manage against the unknown, right? I mean, 
it's it's a roller coaster, and you'll have one week where one person's down, and you'll have another week where someone else is yeah. down. There's weeks when I'm down and I need the guys to lift me up because you just don't know what's going to mm-hmm. happen. But we all got together, and it was kind of a nice moment. We sat in our, our scout's office, and we all just said, F it. Like, we just got to march forward and, and do what we're going to do and do it the best that we absolutely can do. And we can't control anything else, but we can control this, and we're going down swinging if we go down. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. you know, we're we're – we're a lot leaner than we've ever been, just to be frank. But everybody's, you know, picked up an oar and we're pulling it all the same way, which, you know, that's a great position to be in. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to touch on when you were describing earlier um, your role is that kind of, I don't know if friction is the right word, but when you have a, a, a club like ours that has been in massive growth mode for five years, um, what's that dynamic and is it friction between being efficient and taking advantage of efficiencies and then making sure, you know, the academy has the proprietary resources that teenagers require right. or that uh, certainly the Royals had a whole set of special circumstances because of, um, you know, the the stage that that league was at, you know, when, when they came in and, and, the situ- and the circumstances surrounding their entry and unfortunately their exit from from utah and hopefully their eventual return um and then obviously you've got you've got the monarchs have been navigating a very quickly growing uh usl over the last several years so yeah i don't think it's internal friction i I, like i look have there been buy-in issues historically on understanding the pathways absolutely but it's at that point it's kind of get on board or Mm -hmm. or don't yeah because it's necessary and and Again, five years ago, we had this idea, um, you know, not just my idea. I mean, this was ownership idea, too, of yeah. let's build the, the best damn development pathway in the U.S. Um, so while there's a little bit, at the end of the day, that solved itself. I think the, the harder part in all that is you're talking about different leagues is navigating the different league rules, but still getting the development pathway right. you want. I mean, a lot of clubs around the world don't deal with that, right, because it's all internal um, for their what they're going to do, but the league is there's one big league, right? So we we have to navigate U.S. You know, soccer rules for the academy. We have to when, with the Royals, we had to navigate NWSL rules mm-hmm. that are different than the Monarchs, are different from the first team. Now Royals obviously were outside of the pathway, but you know internally in front office, it's it's all you know. I worked with Stephanie on a regular basis, uh, the GM. So you know there was difficulties, but I, I don't know. I, I think we're at the best point we've ever been on that. Right. I mean, everybody's so bought in from Freddie right. to Arnold down at the Academy to Homison. I mean, the best thing I ever saw was the Monarch season, which, you know, was kind of doomed from the start with the lack of ability to loan players down from the first team. You know, mm-hmm. we signed younger players of the first team with the idea they'll get their games down at the Monarchs sure, and be ready. Sure. We couldn't do that in COVID. So you saw a lot of a lot of reserve players playing, and then a lot of academy kids. But Hamison realized that from the start and was like, "Let's play them. Let's play some fifteen-year-olds. Let's see mm-hmm. how they do." Which was fantastic, right? Yeah. It wasn't great on the field. It wasn't great for results. But we were kind of our hands were tied anyway by the league rules there. Yeah. So I think that's been the biggest difficulty. I, I don't know. I, I think the staff we have now, top to bottom, buys into all of that yeah. and understands. And it goes back to what I said. I mean, we need to start getting seventeen, eighteen-year-olds, nineteen-year-olds on the field. Um, not just for a sale perspective, but that's where all the leagues are going, younger players, sure. right? So the development pathway becomes so imperative. And, and I think just with hires over the last three or four years, they get it. They're here because of that. Yeah. I think in front office, there's never been any friction on that. I mean, everybody knows that's that's where we need to go. And where I say friction was kind of my experience because, you know, we went from being one kind of business side managing one MLS circumstance to trying to introduce and grow and support uh, the Monarchs, then the Royals, and then moving the Academy from Utah to Arizona, it placed a lot of strain on a, on a limited group of people that only had so many hours in the day. And, and I've, I can look back now and yeah. say, I should have handled X, Y, Z differently, or I should have asked for this, or, you know, but, you know, perspective is always... Uh, you know, hindsight, whatever. Yeah, look, I mean, we did we we put the royal or the monarchs together in four months, right? Wow. So I found out um, July of 2014, and we were on the field for that next season yeah. in 15. Royals were the same way. Yep. I remember Craig and I um, 
we were there with the owner and uh, some executives. We met with NWSL. Um, I was in that room. Were you? Even if you don't remember me, I couldn't yeah. see you under all the coats. Um, <laughs> no, and then uh, and then I, if you don't if you remember, we flew out to Chicago that night to meet with Jill with U.S. Soccer. That's right. Um, and then we put that together. So the strain, yes. Now, with that said, I mean, with my background coming from finance and, and legal stuff and all that, I mean, it's no change in hours for me. But convincing a group that had one team why it's necessary to add the rest. Sure. Because a lot of times the soccer side doesn't have the business perspective. They right. Don't, they don't understand it. And, and vice versa. And vice versa. Yep. And, you know, I guess one of the things I'm proudest of was being the link between all those departments, yeah, sure. right? Being able to be like, hey, this is what's going on, but say it in a way that, that kind of made them understand where it went in. Not always successfully. And and look, we've had some difficulty coming out of this on that too. But um, yeah, I mean, look, it was it was a strain every time we added, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I appreciate. But it's still it. a part of this massive vision to be exactly. I appreciated the, the club. growth, yeah. exactly. And and what we were doing was being the best damn soccer club club, yeah, in the U.S. And and look, as you said, some of it hits, some of it doesn't, right? Yeah. But and and looking back, there's a lot of stuff I would have done differently. But what I I appreciated was the vision and the growth and and the freedom to operate within that and. Look, we grew them all. The Monarchs have done everything you can do in the USL. Right. They won the Supporter Shield. They won the Cup. We have the a record for the highest transfer fee in the league. Um, and we've played the most uh, players that have been signed to the first team. So that model is, has proven itself, yeah. right? Uh, fits and starts, and there was difficulties in it. But looking back, I, I don't have any bad feelings or in the time where there's stressful periods where I didn't sleep for a week. Yeah, of course, sure. but... But looking back, that what we have built right now is incredible. And that's why, you know, you talk about future ownership. I have no idea what's going on there, but I hope they see that. I hope they see the benefit of the structure and the vision that was there because it's been pretty cutting edge. And who else has a $100 million facility in, right. in MLS? It's incredible. You know, now we're trying to – everything – you know, I say we're at like 80%. Everything now is just getting that much better on everything. You know, we have the best facility – there are rules in the MLS about what territories you can recruit from, mm-hmm. from, obviously. But in all those other territories, why would we ever lose a player? I mean, we've never lost a player that we've invited in and who saw the facility in the school and sure. the setup who said no, right? So it's just getting that much better in there, now developing that much better and that much earlier and giving the kids opportunities that much earlier in games. And um, I'm pretty proud of everything we've done, and, and I'm proud we were given a vision of which we were allowed to execute. The academy landscape is changing pretty drastically, right? So you've got what I knew as the U.S. Soccer Development Academy kind of uh, dissipating. Uh, there's a lot of chatter out there about you know what MLS teams are going to do, how that affects uh, USL, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, one of the people that I've, I've uh, met a couple times, been excited to get to know and look forward to hopefully in 2021, it gives us a chance to get to know him better is Arnold Reisenberg. Um, excuse me. Um, at the Academy. I mean, this is the guy that was in Belgium developing Lukaku and, and many, many others. Fellaini, um, Witzel. Wow. Yep. I mean, he, if you look at the national team, he's had a hand in at least six of those players. Um, can you give us a little insight into the process by which I think it was you and Elliot that really spearheaded that Martin Vasquez replacement and, and ultimately settled on Arnold? Yeah, so it's funny. I'd like to say we had a plan there. We, we were actually interviewing uh, Academy Director um, candidates, and we had, I think we got 50 resumes. We did Zoom calls, interviews, and then we settled on six that we were going to go inter- interview in Europe in Holland, um, England, uh, and Belgium. And Fred Lipka, who now runs MLS Next, called Elliot and said, hey, uh, while you're in Belgium, I'd love if you talk to this guy. And within five minutes, it it clicked. He got it. He Mm -hmm. understood where we wanted to go, where we needed to go, Um, had layouts of what he'd do. And so while we were going to hire an academy director, we're like, we need a coaching director also. Mm -hmm. We need to hire Arnold. 
And, you know, with stuff he's doing with coaches, what he's doing with players, how he's identifying players, how he's developing, how he's partnering now with the local clubs, which is, you know, we love those guys, but there's been a little push-pull, right? Mm-hmm. And and now it's it's all together. It's great. And um, look, again, it's a boat, right? Like we talked about, you know, we brought him in about a year ago, and we're starting to see the fruits of that in, in the younger classes as we recruit and we develop better. Um, that's only going to go forward. I, I have full faith in what he's doing. We're on the same page. He's brilliant, and it's great to have him. And I think that that was the necessary piece, the academy, that we're not just building to win at the academy level. We're building to produce first-team players and, and do that, as I said, at a younger age, right? Yeah. These kids need to be able to start. So he's worked with all the coaching staffs. We now have an internal development model that we started this year that's called the Elite Talent Group that he's involved with and a guy named Cody Warden, who we got from Surf, is heading. And what they do is they take the elite talent out of each age group and give them additional training, but it's not just moving cones. It's down to sports science performance mm-hmm. levels, working with a member of the performance group. Uh, mental performance, we, we've got a partner now where uh, it's testing mental performance and working on the mental performance areas that they need to do. We do that quarterly. Reduced down to some some data that our data data analytics person is taking, and then we track the the development of the kids. But he's also working with the monarchs for their top three, and working with the younger kids with Freddie at the top also. Mm. So this allows where the coaches are worried about getting ready for for Saturday, right? That's their job. Yep. It also allows further development by having this elite talent group that takes um, takes members out of each discipline and focuses on these kids. And it'll be about 15, 20 within the group that are getting that additional wow. development. And so we started that this year. Cody moved over as of Jan 1 and already flying on that. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I saw the news and I got excited about, obviously, Ochoa and Herrera getting called in uh, by Jason Christ to the Olympic team. And Ryan and I were talking earlier. This kind of reminded me of a conversation I had with Weibel. It was probably 14. Might have been when he was an assistant. Might have been when Garth was on his way out. But Justin Gladden, Jordan Allen, they were kind of that homegrown duo back then. It's crazy to me to think that Justin is still only 23 years old. But anyway, having those guys get called in, um, you know, I've spent my my adult life in soccer, but I'm an American sports fan. So I thought Justin and Jordan would play for RSL for 15 years. Um, maybe that's going to be the case with Justin. Hopefully, knock on wood, it is. Obviously, Jordan had his career derailed. With Ochoa and Herrera, like, I still want that for RSL because, you know, I'm a homer. But that may not be realistic, right? And what we've seen from Dallas and New York and some of the other – uh, academies, Philly now yeah. too, yeah. Um, where they're selling uh, these these American kids that seem like they're finally kind of breaking through a ceiling. I guess for um, well, the games you... changed though, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean sure. that's that's what you're seeing. It's a lot faster. It's a lot tighter spaces. It's a lot more athletic, which that's always been both the praise and the knock on Correct. the American player, yeah, right? Sure. Right, and and especially as you're seeing a lot of outside backs some attacking players, some wingers, um, that's how we build them, right? So um, I'd love those guys to be here for their careers. Right. But there's a reality that that not just the financial side is most players now know they have an opportunity to yeah. go here. Whereas before it's, I want to go there, it would be great. Right, but like Landon Donovan went to Leverkusen and didn't get the ball in training and came home right. six months later. But I guess my part of my question is how much pride – do you guys have when when these guys get an opportunity on the national stage? Um, how much of a recruiting opportunity is it for them with other pros to say, "Hey, that crowd we have at Rio Tinto or that facility that we train in in Harriman, you might want to think about developing on our side." You know? Yeah. And, so you're you're and, seeing a lot of that. And now. then, um, and the example that always sticks in my mind is Michael Bradley getting Josie Altador to go to Toronto when he came back to the U.S. or to MLS. Um, I guess another layer to this question is how do you put a valuation on a Herrera or an Ochoa or I'm sure there's academy kids that there's always Mexican teams or South American teams or European teams sniffing around these guys. And, you know, what's that kind of balancing act between being 
being one of the 90 plus percent of clubs in the world that are selling clubs, and that's a main uh, stream of revenue for you, or trying to hold on to these starlets, if you will, for MLS success. Well, you look, that's the balance, right? That's the art of what you're talking right. about. And we're also starting to see it in the MLS. You're starting to see a lot more trades, especially for homegrown kids across clubs. Look, it, they're human beings, right? And they're kids you've a lot of times seen since they were 15, 16 year, years been old. Been away from home. Yeah. Right, but they've we've been their parents, and not right. me, but like right. the staff has. You, you've connected with them. you talked to them in the hallways. I mean, you've known this kid for five, six years sometimes. And that's hard because you build relationships with people. Hmm. But it's a it's a business, and not only that is the kids get it's a business, and their agents get it's a business. And right now, the hotness is to go to to Europe, and kids want to do that. So a lot of times, we'll actually work with the agents and the players well ahead of time. Yeah, what's your goals? We we ask the academy kids. You know, uh, Arnold does. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? This is how you get there. When we sign contracts. We talk about it. when we sign extensions. We talk about it where they want to go, and, and we need to. It's it's a balance because you have to be competitive. You have to play on the world stage. You want to do what's best for the club, but you also want to do what's best for the kid. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's some agents that try to grab these kids at 16, saying they're going to Europe, and and kind of screw the kid. And, yeah. and we just say, hey, look, um, we hear what you want to do, but we think you need this, this, and this. So it, it is a balance. But on the other hand, we want to be a mature league. You know, we don't want to be that. You know, the penalties at the end of the game, MLS kind of model, like yeah. like. The whole goal of the MLS is to be recognized on the world stage, and we're really starting to see that over the last 18 months. Sure. You know, you're seeing with TAM coming in, a lot more younger players coming into the league to develop because they know they'll start. You know, and so we're talking to a player right now. I'm not going to tell you the position or who it is or where he's playing. He's 19 years old. We put together a development plan for him and sent it to him. We had interviews with him in the front office, and they're him and his agent want to come here because while there's there's offers in Europe, there's no guarantee that he's going to even touch the ball, mm-hmm. even in training. Whereas here, they see the development going on, the Almarones, right? right? Now, to put a little feather in our cap, we were one of the first teams, I don't know if people know this, to break that with Albert Rusnik. He was one of the first young Europeans sure. that chose to come here over the EPL because he knew he would play. And it's all about playing, getting yep. the minutes, getting the looks. So... We've seen that, and Tam's really changed that. Now with the outgoing players, again, I think the game's changed enough that, and there's enough academies in development now that the European clubs are seeing that. Um, that's just the way the game's going to go. But I think you can do it in a way that's both beneficial to the club and that, that fits uh, what the players want to do. And you have that conversation. Yeah. Hey, I want to go to Europe. Cool. We're just going to need you here for another year before we can do X, Y, and yeah. Z. Um, but on the other hand, as a development model, that has to be... You either want them to stay for a long, long time, or if there's an offer that's good enough and it, and the player's down for it, you make the move. And I don't know if we've ever had a player say, no, I don't want to go to Europe. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, um, everybody wants to test themselves, right? Right. Um, that's the dream. So I, I think it can be, be collaborative, and I think everything can yeah. be collaborative, and I think that, that it's healthier if you do that, if there's less egos, especially in the front office, and mm. you create a collaborative environment for the players and for the staff, it's a win-win for everybody. And it create, you know, it again goes back to that family environment that we have to be in. Yeah. So it has to be like that. So um, I don't know. Did I answer the question? There was like yeah, eighteen no, questions. No, in there, yeah, right? I know. I'm, I'm guilty of that. Um, so what? I guess kind of stepping back, big picture, because that's that's just great perspective. Um, if you're talking to prospective new owners, buyers of Real Salt Lake, what are your, what's your 30 second stump speech about the relevance, the infrastructure, everything that has been built here? And then what are you, what are you asking for to, to, to make a light year leap forward? Or maybe it's not necessary to have a light year leap forward, but it's, you know, what kind of growth potential are you looking for in the next five, 10 years? Uh, you know, for one, I'd want them to recognize where we are now. Like if someone's coming in and they're just, hey, I like RSL, I don't think it works. I think this club's been built for the last five years around this development model. I think it's healthy, but I also think it's it's necessary for the way the cap is. It's so mm-hmm. convoluted, but the, the benefits 
of having an academy kid play, it gives you so much more around the rest of the roster. It gives you more opportunity for TAM players. It lets you pay a bit more up the spine or in tight, wherever you want to do that. So I really want them to understand why we're built like this and what's the benefit of being built like this. And, And look, there's examples around the MLS. Two, you know, my dream is to build an RSL system that's like Red Bull. It is a system. This yeah. is how we do it. This is what we want to do. And have the support on that. That's some technological advancements we need to make. Mm-hmm. I also want to make sure we're, we get some some further funding. We've had great funding, but further funding in the sports science side. Mm-hmm. I think there's some cutting edge stuff there. You know, we're not doing a Moneyball mo- model. I, right. I, you know, in, in, in we spent two years trying to come up with a Moneyball model for the entire league, and it just failed. I think we've gone back now, especially on data analytics, is what works for us. Um, I'd love to continue to explore that area. I I think for us, with the way the league's going, um, I think what we would need is two special pieces, whether that's a nine nine and a ten or a ten and a winger, depending on what we get done this this window. Um, But it you know, it is a little bit of the old model, right? You had mm-hmm. Javi, yeah. you know, and then you had Sabrio uh, up yeah. there and yep. and, um, and build around it. And, and you know, at the end of the day, we're a blue-collar team. Yeah. We need we need players that understand that and work, right? So what would I like? I think we, we have a lot of what we want. Right. I just would like it to continue to— steroids? Yeah, a bit. And I, I think, like I said, we can get way better technically and not— when I say technically on the field, I mean technically in development. Mm. Stuff that Ajax is doing, stuff that Wolfsburg is doing. Um, just that kind of that cutting edge. I mean, mental performance right now is the the, the bleeding edge of soccer and just really dig into that. Um, so I don't know. I, I think, uh, you know, with the way the world's going, what I, I think if you had a perfect model, you'd have as many million-dollar players around the field as possible with two DPs. Now, you can do that with straight spend. You can do that with creativity that Elliot does on the cap and signing homegrowns and doing that. But building the homegrowns lets you play in the world market and honestly lets you start uh, monetizing some of those sales, as you're seeing Philly do, to put back into their programs, right? right? So um, those are the things I'd like to see. I don't know after the purchase, you know, besides the DPs, what, you know, it's not a huge spend. And then a little bit more on staffing where we're running a little lean. You know, right, right. now we're lean on scouts and, and some things like that. Um, but that's how I see us getting But it's not just spending $20 million no. to try to catch up with the salaries of Seattle or Toronto or No, Atlanta. and you're seeing the teams hurting right now with right. that. You right. know, there's a lot of teams that are in some deep trouble without the revenue that it's yeah. unsustainable. Now, that doesn't mean we don't want a Rossi. You know, of course, like Diego right. Rossi or... Yeah. You know, Rui Diaz. I mean, yeah. of course, I think that would we'd we'd be back in the saddle, right? And and that's a conversation that we already have together. We have a whole proposal for for all the stuff we'd have to do. But there's a lot of back end stuff that I don't think people see that could make us that much better in the development pathway. That's great info. Um, obviously, we look forward to having you and some of the other guys on semi regularly because I I'm fascinated by the the infrastructure support, the science, all that kind of stuff. What would what would be your kind of message to the fan base right now? As we, you know, um, there's some good news coming out of uh, the league on the CBA after a couple of weeks of saber rattling around the holidays that I think might have had people nervous. Um, I know we still don't know when the season's going to start because of COVID and other other restrictions, et cetera, et cetera. But um, if you're if you're an RSL season ticket holder, if you're an RSL fan, what is what is uh, one or two cogent uh, points that you want them to hang their hat on? Look, I mean, I'm going to be a little cliche, but things are always darkest before the dawn. And, mm. and for our side of it, we're through that. You know, um, Is that Pusha T? Yeah, probably Pusha T. I just got into <laughs> him, so I don't, I don't know if that what song that is. Uh, uh, problems on my mind, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, we're really excited. We're, you know, we're working on some pretty incredible stuff that I think people have assumed with what's going on that we can't move or we're frozen. That's not true at all. Um, And, you know, we got a couple of player signings that are right to the line that I think are going to be a big hit. But, you know, we have to be fun to watch. You know, that's the other thing we've talked with Fred is like, let's play some attacking ball again, man. Let's let's be exciting. And uh, the fans want to see that. They want to come to a game. I mean, look, we got the diehards, right? We know them. I mean, they're the, the loudest on social media. But really, it's it's a family environment. I mean, I'm, right. I'm also 
talking about the family in Orem that has five kids and two of them play soccer and they mm-hmm. want to be an RSL soccer player yep. in the future and the parents want to bring their kids to have a good time. We we that's really the environment we have to get back to. I mean, there was a feeling is even two years ago that if someone came in they're going to get crushed. Yeah. And you just knew it. And you knew if we were down, it didn't matter. We need to get back to that. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do as a front office. But we're also trying to do it where you know the next set of kids coming through is going to have that same mentality and be able to do it. And we're going to continue for a long time doing that and, and know that at the lower levels, it's a grind, but we're doing that. And and I'm excited. I mean, some of the 15s are incredible. Wow. Um, just incredible. And those are the future of RSL. And, and look, we'll still go out and compete in the market. Um, but How many windows ahead are you guys strategizing? Two. Okay. Oh, windows? No, three. Three windows? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, global depth charts now going all the way down to 15, identifying, you know, I want to look internally first. I mean, yeah. with what we have, that should be our first call. Right. And you should know that 18 to 24 months where you want to make a move, have that kid in elite talent group, have them training with all the the pro teams. Have them getting minutes at the Monarchs. Have them going to preseason with the first team. I mean, that's that's the Chris Garcia model. Remember, right. you know, Chris Garcia, although he broke his leg this year, he uh, he wasn't even supposed to be at first team. Hmm. Um, you know, it, we we were watching him. We're like, oh, he's good, but he's at the next level. And we had so many injuries going to preseason. We brought him up, and he was incredible. He was you know one of the best attackers really on the field. Responded, yeah, right. But that also taught us that we have to be aggressive earlier. Hmm. You know, and, and convince the coaches on why. I mean, the coach is going to be like, look, you know, I don't need a cone. I need someone's going to do something. You're not going to know until they play. And that's the other thing we found out. I mean, there's a kid named Flores that started the last three games for the Monarchs. I mean, on paper, he'd be like, man, he's average. Kid came in and took grown men out and didn't even blink twice, mm. right, and was going to the ball. So it's just getting them those opportunities and being braver, especially at the, the Monarchs level, get the kids games, right? And this elite talent group is going to help with that. That's awesome. Really appreciate you uh... – spending a few minutes with us to kind of peel back the curtain and give us a, an update, fascinating stuff to get into uh, throughout 2021. I, I think the, the mental stuff, the support the kids are getting in the academy, like these are the things that very few, I think, know about. And um, and that's the way the world's going, right? When, right. You, when you read this stuff about, I don't know, Man City's infrastructure, there's a massive two-part series on the athletic in December about about that and obviously that's a a crazy unique animal but there's a lot there that I think uh, we can learn from and 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 that we're actually already emulating yeah and like the one thing that that two things that drive me nuts one is that's not how, two yeah well <laughs> um, you with your passport at the airport counter is probably number one <laughs> but number two is people saying that's not how we do it it drives me nuts, right? Like this conventional wisdom. Well, why not, right? Yeah. And two, we can't. I mean, listen, I get how big Man City is. I get they got Qatari money. I got, you know, great. Right. We can do it in an American way that does the same thing, sure. right? And you can do it well. And it's not just lighting money on fire. It's being targeted and doing it well. But I wish people knew more about what we're doing internally. And we need to come up with a way to explain it, yeah. you know, especially at the academy level, how intense it is and what we're doing and how we're developing kids and how we're making the next pros because that is RSL. And again, that doesn't negate that we're going to bring in the foreign players that's necessary in this league. Right. But, um, I'm pretty proud of what we're doing. And, and we're, like I said, I think we're at 80%. We just need to kick up to that last 20 and, and really be really humming on it. But I'm excited about the future, man. And, And I think everybody in my department is, and, and again, it was a tough summer. Yeah. And, results into the fall i mean if if anybody would have put a camera on us during the games all of our heads would have been down and Mm -hmm. and but you take your failures figure out how you failed and try to try to correct that as best you can and see how it works and and i'm really excited about the stuff we're doing it's pretty like i said pretty cutting edge well awesome thanks rob we look forward to having you back in you know four six weeks and we can't wait to get caught up with uh tony elliot freddie arnold um pablo a whole cast of characters as we Try to do exactly what you said. Just try to, you know, peel back the curtain, tell people what we're doing, uh, what's happening at the club without obviously tipping any uh, competitive hands or showing any cards because um, this is this is a, a, a very cutthroat business. So we don't want to put anybody in an uncomfortable situation. But, um, you know, my goal is to remind people what we have, uh, what a jewel 
of a club this is here and um and tie it all together past present future it's uh it's exciting and there's reasons to be optimistic that sometimes get lost in this 280 character social media hot take cancel culture world we live in yeah so i got rid of social media in the summer it's it was just liberating uh, yeah but if anybody has complaints or wants to talk any trash about me please send it to trey fitzgerald (laughs) (laughs) thanks brother i will pass it on thanks Uh, rob i will say this is the best interview i've ever had so thank you trey wow you know know i love you all right appreciate you yeah All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect to us, you can find Trey on Twitter at 3FITZSLC. That's the number 3, F-I-T-Z-S-L-C. And me at don't know. We're always up for some banter, omissions, corrections, guest suggestions, RSL memories, or whatever. This show is produced independently by Trey Fitzgerald and Mountaineer Media, recorded at Mountaineer Studios in Draper, Utah. The views expressed on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of Real Salt Lake. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.